Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good day, everyone. This is Tony Moskow with your high school sports podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in L.A. and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Joining me this week is an incredibly successful football coach. He's won everywhere he's been, whether it's at the high school level as an assistant or a head coach, the college level as an assistant and a head coach. He's also one of the best quarterback coaches around. He's now roaming the sidelines up in the high desert at Paraclete High School, Dean Harrington. Dean, thanks for joining me here on Believe. Well, thanks for having me, Tony. Let's let's go back to the start. 1984, JV offensive coordinator with Rick and, and Mike at Hart High School. What was your house like with three football junkies like you guys? Yeah, everyone used to ask that, but actually we didn't really do much football at home. Um, we might watch a little film on Sunday or whatever, but uh, we did most everything at school. Um, you know, when it was time to go home, it was kind of to relax and watch TV or something. Let's You guys go 40-0 and 0 as JV coaches. Rick Scott decides to retire or move on. And everybody thought the logical choice was to hire Mike as the head coach at Hart High School. Instead, they go in a different direction. And I have to apologize because I was part of the staff that ruined that 40-game winning streak. <laughs> but needless to say, you guys went to Bellflower, had a successful year. What was your thought process going down there? And were you guys kind of upset that, hey, man, they hired the wrong guy? Oh, yeah, we were very disappointed. We thought Mike was going to get the job. And it was always a dream of ours to you know, be able to coach, you know, Hart Varsity, all three of us. And, yeah, it was a, like a punch to the gut. Um, but then right after that, Mike got hired at Bellflower. So we all we went down there and they had only won, I think, three games the last two years combined. And it was a lot different. You know, you had the whole big fan support, parent support at heart. And I remember Mike called his first parent meeting. Two parents showed up. So it was quite a different uh, different program that we were used to. But the kids bought in, you know, and it was very, very rewarding. One of our most fun years, I think, uh, Mike and Rick would say, too. Um, we won our first six games and then ended up eight and three. Lost a heartbreaker in the uh, – First round of the playoffs to Sunny Hills, uh, 21-18. I still remember that. We missed all three extra points. Oh. But, um, you know, we were, you know, we, we were having a good time. We thought, you know, heart was never going to happen. And, you know, we we all we commuted there the, for the first uh, season. And then after the season, we moved into an apartment uh, in Cyprus. Um, and, um, you know, we were, you know, happy there and I was probably going to coach one more year there and try to become a GA at, uh, for Larry Reisbig at Long Beach State. And um, that summer, um, you know, they got rid of the coach at Hart or he resigned. And it's kind of weird. It was late in the summer. And then, you know, uh, Laurie Strauss, the principal at Hart, you know, got a hold of Mike and said, would you like to come back? 
you know, and it's all, you never burn bridges. You know, Mike was very upset, could have really gone in and probably, you know, told him what he thought, but he, you know, just thanked him for the interview and this and that. And, you know, it all worked out eventually. Yeah. And, and, and obviously you guys build an empire there. Now your, your offense, you know, you were one of the first people to employ the spread offense. Did, correct me if I, I'm getting the story wrong, but you're watching a USFL game, Houston Gamblers, Jim Kelly, and you thought, you know what? How cool would this be to run this at the high school level? Was was is that kind of? Am I on the right track with that? Yeah, for sure, exactly. Yeah, I was watching uh, USFL, which I loved, by the way, and um, saw Houston Gamblers, Jim Kelly, and I knew who Mouse Davis was because my brother Mike, I believe, played against him when he was at Cal State Northridge. Okay. And we went up to Portland. Uh, Rick and my mom went up to Portland to watch uh, watch them play when Mouse Davis was the coach. And and then I saw Houston Gamblers. Oh, Mouse Davis. And then I mean, they're th- they had four quick receivers, and I mean, they were fun to watch. And then uh, actually, ironically, Jim Bonds and I, who was my JV or was my uh, quarterback uh, that 1984. We went to a USFL game, the LA Express at the Coliseum versus the Houston Gamblers. And it was like, I think Kelly threw for almost like 550 yards. And I mean, it was just something to see. So I started watching every game and you just jotting notes down and just kind of try to do some plays when, you know, when we came to our season and didn't really know what I was doing just from watching TV. And, you know, and a lot of people said, oh, you, you won't be able to do that on the JV level. But, um, you know, we did. We started incorporating it, and uh, kids had fun with it. And then I, I did a lot more research. And then, I don't know if it was the following year or two years later, Miles Davis became the head coach of the Denver Gold, and they had their training camp at Cal State Northridge. Uh, Cal State Northridge offense coordinator Mike Lopez, he, you know, said, hey, I got all their practice films and game films and notes. Would you like them? I said, sure would. So I got all this stuff and just started studying them. I made my own cutups and everything, and um, and then we started doing it. You know, we, I mean, like I said, we won forty games in a row there on the JV level, and most I think we only had maybe three close games. There were two touchdowns, and and um, probably scored some games. Probably scored a little too much. You know, young coach, and uh, you know, cause we were having fun with the offense, but uh, you know, and they just started from there. And then so then people told me that that won't work on the varsity level. And actually, when we left and went to Bellflower, it was so new to them because their leading receiver the year before had eight catches. So that that type of passing game would be a little too much. So we kind of incorporated it very slowly. And we had a really good running back. So we did some eye backs and you know did a little bit of four wides. And then when we came back in 89 at heart, we did both. And then 90, I didn't think we had a young quarterback, Ryan Connors, and I don't think we were ready for that. And we, so we did a lot of two backs, and we started off 0-2. And, and it scored, I think, 10 points in two games. So we said, forget that. And we went total. And we, you know, Ryan had some unbelievable numbers, and we ended up going to a semifinals and played a great Esperanza team who had like six or seven shutouts. And I don't think anyone scored over two touchdowns with them. Well, we ended up losing, I believe it was – 38 to 35 and that kind of put us on the map that game and then we just uh like i said we started started going and then in 1980 or 92 for the season kevin gilbride who was the 
offensive coordinator with the Houston Oilers when he had Warren Moon and they were running the run and shoot. He spoke for three hours at a clinic and I got a lot of stuff cleared up. And um, then we started started going with it. Then you guys build an empire at heart, 11 Foothill League championships in a row, four CIF championships. You go 55 and one. How cool was it working with Mike and Rick? And and was it football all the time? Did you guys argue about philosophy or did Mike kind of let you and Rick do your thing and he sat back? Yeah, Mike would always let us do our thing, but he, he'd have suggestions. And, and whenever he suggested a play, it probably worked or scored a touchdown probably 90% of the time. <laughs> so, uh, but um, I remember one game we were playing, I think it was Alhambra, and we had the ball like on the 30, 25, 30 yard line, and it was the last play of the half. And I was going to call a pass, and Mike goes, hey, just run a draw. We, have, we might pop this. We had Howard Blackwell, who was a heck of a player, and uh, I just didn't discuss. I go, fine, we ran a draw, and of course he scores a touchdown. <laughs> so I can, I can still see him, that Mike smiling at me on the sideline. You know, it was it was so much fun. I mean, it was, you know, it was uh, back in the day, you know, when you lost a game, it would be like a death in the family there at heart. And uh, we were laughing about the other day that uh, sometimes nowadays it seems like the coaches hurt a lot more after losses than the players. But, yeah, it was something special. It was, uh, you know, when we did lose, it was like, man, you wouldn't hear a peep for, out of the kids for a week until the next game. And it was, like I said, it was the most fun coaching I ever had. Obviously, you're an offensive guy. He's a defensive guy. What were the conversations like with you guys? Like, hey, Rick, what is the weakness in this defense? Did you guys talk about that and the strengths of certain defenses and, and where to attack? Well, he wouldn't watch uh, the other team's defense a whole lot because he's, you know, charts all those games that, I mean, he's great at. That uh, So he's not really – didn't have time to do that. But he'll, he'd come up to me – in a game and he'd say something like, Hey, so-and-so this or so-and-so that, 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 that backer can't cover the line, the running back or, you know, you know, the way those ends are coming up field, you'd probably be able to run the ball, just you know, little things, you know? And, uh, indeed, you know, I coached the defensive backs every year when I was there. So I was involved with the defense too. So, um, you know, we, we would talk, but, uh, you know, he'd ask me stuff defense late, th- think we should go after him or, you know, you know, stuff like that. We just, you know, talk back and forth like most coaches do. Now, in 2000, I think it was 2000, you went to Occidental. Did I get the year right? Uh, 2001. Okay. And you're immediately successful there at a school that holds academics in such really, really high regard. What was the biggest challenge for you going to a school like that? Um, biggest part is no spring football. I think they're allowed to now. Back when I was there, you can uh, you can have um, you couldn't have any contact during the spring on the football field, and so that was the biggest thing. No spring, no summer. Couldn't do anything with the guys until uh, you know fall camp started. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they took their football serious there. We had a really good group, and uh, you know, and um, we had eight and one season in the first conference championship. And I think it was twelve years. Um, it was, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Now the recruiting was one thing that was tough because we, uh, now they can on campus recruit. We couldn't do that. Um, I was there. So yeah, it was, uh, it was making 80 some calls a night during the, during the week. And yeah, it was, yeah. Then, you know, we had some kids mispracked. Not, 
not as much as you'd think. Um, but we had some kids that would have to miss a, miss a, a practice or a half a practice because that was the only time they could take that class. And, you know, you just live with it. What was the biggest thing that you you learned from it? And what was the most unexpected thing that you really got out of it that's helped you? Um, there was probably points of being able to run the ball when you needed to run the ball because there was a lot of games that, uh, you know, that we really had to milk the clock. And so you had to come up with creative ways to be able to, in that four-minute offense, be able to, you know, sometimes you got to be able to play action pass. You got to throw the ball, um, you know, trying to think of different ways to different ways on the ground to try to, you know, to keep the clock moving, getting yards. I think that was one of the, the bigger things. And did you find a lot of, did you really enjoy the college level there or were you thinking to yourself, you know, high school may be a little bit easier? Well, you know, I came from heart where, you know, the stands are packed for every game. You know, it's total excitement. I remember we, our, our only loss of the year at Oxy was the first game against Menlo. And they had a couple of receivers that were just unbelievable. We ended up losing 55 to 14. And, you know, and after every heart game, win or lose, you know, families on the field after the game and this and that. And I remember after the game, I waved at Mike and Rick were up in the stands and my mom was there, my grandma was there too. And then, uh, you know, just kind of waved at them, you know, because <laughs> they couldn't down, come down on the field. And I'm just kind of sitting there afterwards, like looking around, like, okay, yeah, this is quite a bit different than what I'm used to. A couple of years later, you find yourself back in the Santa Clarita Valley at College of the Canyons. What did you take from being the head coach at Occidental that helped you coaching-wise being the OC at a junior college? Yeah, I was, I was the offensive coordinator at Occidental. I wasn't the head oh, coach. Okay. Dale Weedoff, okay. long-time head coach, was there. Um, but um, yeah, it was you know I was still up in the in the box for uh, the the press box for helping hard out when I was at Occidental. And then um, College of the Canyon was kind of fun because I was able to be a little more involved with the heart program too, because we didn't do anything on Mondays other than watch the film. And I'd watch the film with our guys and I'd go over for Monday's practice at heart, which was an offensive practice and help them out and go up in the box for the game. So that was kind of fun there at COC. And uh, it was fun. We had a really good run there at COC. I think we, Lost only four games in four years. We had two Southern California championships and, you know, one state national championship. And it was fun working with, uh, you know, Chuck, Chuck Lyon and Garrett Tuesday was there and um, a lot of good people. And Ted Eisen, they came, finished playing it in New Mexico. And he actually came to Occidental with me. And then when I went to COC, he came with me to COC. So it was just a lot of fun being back in the Santa Cruz Valley. Yeah, and, and Chuck... Garrett, Garrett took over in that year. You guys went 14-0, and you, you win the Community College National Championship. What was different between being at a, a school like Occidental where you've got to go out and recruit the kids and, you know, get them to buy in? And, and at COC, you get a lot of the bounce-back kids, a lot of the kids that academically didn't, you know, probably qualify to get into those bigger D1 programs. Well, just the overall play. Uh, football is so much better uh, at a good junior college than Division three. Um, just the talent levels. I mean, we had some guys at COC, like, you know, we had J.J. Arrington, who the NC2A leading rusher at Cal his senior year and played a few years for the Cardinals. And, you know, Domita Pecco, who's still playing for the Broncos, I believe. And we had, yeah, we had, uh, then in our secondary, the national championship, we had 
Justin Tryon, who played uh, in the NFL for a while, I think with the Colts. Um, and I'm forgetting a few guys, but we had we had some some talent, and it was fun. And uh, but in the national championship game, I was proud to say that uh, three of the starting four receivers were Santa Cruz Valley kids. So um, in our offensive line, I think three our our quarterback was a Valley kid. Or three, or take three of our linemen or valley kids. We did it with a lot of local kids that year, which was uh, fun for me, being you know, you know, born and raised out in Santa Cruz Valley and seeing a lot of high school football and a lot of College of the Canyons football over the years. And being a heart guy at heart, did you? What was the the dichotomy like? You going over to Canyon and recruiting a kid, or going over to Valencia and recruiting a kid? Did they kind of look at you like? No, he, you know, he's, he's, he's really a hard guy or was it just, you know, he just, we just want to get our kids to the next level. Oh no, the coaches are great. Yeah, no, there was no, there was no problem at all. Uh, only problem was when uh, Kyle Bauer gave my playbook to uh, Larry Muir. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, hey, it's called, it's not called stealing. It's called research. You know? Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's now in 2006, you returned to the high school level and, and you're at Alamany. And they were, I don't know, not very successful before you get there. Ten years, you win seven league championships. You go to the first CIF championship game in 50-plus years. How did all of your experiences at Hart, at Occidental, and at COC prepare you for the challenges that you faced at Alamany? Well, all the head coaches, you know, you know, I learned a lot from all the head coaches. You know, Mike, his demeanor during games, he doesn't get rattled, you know. Rick and I can be a little more emotional, and uh, Mike's uh, you know, has always been a, a calming influence for the team and the coaches. Um, Chuck was fiery. You know, he uh, thing I liked about Chuck is he would get on a player, and I mean, get on a player, but then once that practice is over, you know, he'd do anything for that player. And um, you know, Dale Weedoff at Occidental, a uh, really good special teams guy, really good attention to detail. So I learned a lot from all those guys and, you know, it was, you know, I, I, I was always the head coach of the offense and had a lot of input with defense when I was at heart, but, um, you know, being the head coach was something I wanted to do and I had a good opportunity. Um, so, you know, I decided to, decided to make the jump. And, and you were really, really successful there and you played in a very tough league. There were some, you know, Crespi was, was pretty good back then. Notre Dame has always been good. Chaminade's always been good. Did you like the competition there? And and how did you bring out the best in the kids who had never really achieved any success? Yeah, we uh, we won our first four games uh, my first year there, um, but three of the opponents were not very good. And we beat a really good San Fernando team that year. They, they were, I think they beat Taft for their league title that year, first game of the year. And, you know, we, I was telling someone the other day, my, uh, my, my defense that first year was, uh, I was taller than 10 of my defensive starters and I'm 5'10". And that's no joke. So, um, you know, we just, we need to be successful and, you know, to attract, you know, kids that wanted to come there. And, you know, Frank Ferry, the principal did a great job making the school a fun place to be and everything. And uh, uh, Malcolm Marable uh, came as a freshman that year. who was one of the a really good running back in uh, the Pasadena area. And his parents loved the school. He had, you know, he's our probably was our best player as a freshman, and that enabled us to get a lot of kids coming from that from the Pasadena area because Malcolm had such a great experience. 
that's when, you know, Stephen Mitchell came and Devin Ross and Vernon Adams. So not only good players, but good kids too. And so that kind of, kind of got the ball rolling a little bit and we got better each year. And yeah, it was, a, it was really fun. After after a while, all good things come to an end, and I I think Alamady made a never a bad never. decision with letting you go, but that's water under the bridge. Because now you're up like at Paraclete. Did you ever see yourself here. at a small school? And now like I live Paraclete about a block up in the high desert. <laughs> so, uh, but it's been fun. The people are great. The kids are great, and um, you know it's been. You know, I didn't think I didn't apply for the job. Um, you know I was. You know, I had got released in January and I got paid through June. So I was kind of going to wait and see, maybe even try to get on to college as an, as an analyst or something. Um, and then John Anson, the principal, get, called me up and asked if we could talk. And so I went to the school and met with him. And then we met up in Santa Clarita and, you know, decided that, you know what, this could be fun. I know they have talent there. Um Yeah, you know, we had to change, you, we changed you've the whole continued your winning ways up there. What is it that, you know, so, you took over from Norm Dahlia, um, who was successful. You know, he did a good was it just job. one of those things the where you just kind of picked up where he you know, left off? You know, they, I don't want to take anything away from anyone. They did a great job. Um, uh, the, la the year before I came there, they were Division 10. So I knew with this new CIF thing, we were going to make a dr drastic jump in divisions. So... You know, and so, you know, explaining that to the players and they really bought it. We lost our first three games. Um, we lost it, our first game against Serrano because we had like three or four shotgun snaps going over our quarterback's head. We had no business losing that game. And then went to Los Alamitos, played a pretty good Los Alamitos team tough and ended up just running out of gas. It was kind of a, it was a day game. Um, and then came home and darn near beat Oaks Christian. I mean, we had them. It was 21-13 and. We fumbled on the eight going in in the third quarter and then had first and goal at the eight and didn't score in the fourth quarter. And that was Matt Carroll and uh, Corral and uh, Pittman, the receiver at uh, at SC right now. And, you know, so we had our chances and um, but, you know, we didn't get it done. But the kids just believed. And then we beat, you know, first time ever beaten. I don't know if they were one or two at the division one or two at the time, but beat St. Bonaventure. Went for two with like a minute left and got it and won the game. So that kind of springboarded us for the rest of the season. It was so fun because the and I believe you won a couple of CIF championships up there, state championship the finals. How cool was that for and the the community? Four years before that, they had to lost see that hey, we hired this guy and it's and it's all years. paid off. And so that was kind of you know so and some a lot of those kids you know played played in that game two years earlier. So you know and we got our butts kicked by Sierra Canyon our last game of the year and beat us physically. We were beat up. Our quarterback had a bad ankle. Our running back had a bad that ankle. I remember telling my wife, Gail, that I think driving home from the game, I go, we might be one and done in the playoffs. And we got healthy and, you know, we got on a roll and it was, 
probably the most re rewarding season, especially after what happened, you know, at Alamany. To come back and, uh, you know, have these guys believe what we're, the coaches were telling them and just played their hearts out and, you know, beat some very, very good teams there in the playoffs and in the state playoffs. won scholarships what was what made you so successful coaching quarterbacks because you were a pretty good quarterback in high school yeah not very I, I knew the game a little bit like I tell people that I, I'm glad I don't have to coach myself because I'd be looking for someone else <laughs> so uh but um I don't know it's just you know we really work our quarterbacks hard and try to find that right guy who's a leader who's an athlete biggest thing is they're not afraid to sit back there and take a hit and I think that's what I've kind of prided myself on. My quarterbacks are tough. Um, and I think that's the, I mean, if you can find a tough kid back there, you know, can throw the ball a little bit, a good athlete, smart. I mean, you can do a lot of, a lot of things with them. Now, out of all those guys, from guys like Mike Kachika, Kyle Matter, Sean Norton, Bowler, Matt Moore, let me ask you a couple of questions about that group. The least talented one that ended up being much better than you expected. Oh, that was easy, Kyle Matter. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, I could probably outthrow him back then, you know, and that's not saying much. But, and he didn't have a tight ball, but he, he's a brilliant kid. You know, he went to Stanford, and uh, you talk about accuracy and leadership and a calm demeanor and not afraid to sit in the pocket. I mean, he, he had two great years for us. And uh, like I said, couldn't, you know, what they say, throw a ball through a car wash. It would get wet. It would get wet. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But he, he, but he, you know, we were, we were his senior year. You know, we weren't as talented that year. And we lost a couple games early, and he kind of just took over in the playoffs, and it was just fantastic. That's the championship game against Miracles. He was like, God, what was he? He was like thirty-one or thirty-five, and yeah, he was fantastic. Who is the most athletic? Uh, Vernon Adams. The smartest. Um, Vernon Adams football IQ is off the charts. Um, he, you know, was an okay student, you know, nothing bad, nothing spectacular. But you talk about football IQ and he'll, like I said, when he's done playing now, he's ripping it up in the CIFL, which is nice to see. Is He'll be one of the, their most valuable players candidates this year. His football IQ was was like I said off the charts. Um, trying to think here, I don't want to let it. Brevin White's obviously, uh, you know, intelligent kid. Bowler and Moore, they were really good too. Um, I'm gonna leave someone out, and I'm going to get in trouble here. No, you're not. Yeah, Kyle Matter. I mean, yeah, like I said, he's a. Every you know, there'd be times in games I get the play call wrong, and most most players who kind of look at me like. What? And he would just get in the huddle and correct my correct me and get the right play called. <laughs> Who's the one that surprised you the most with their performances? Um, Mike Kasika. Um, yeah, he went went to UNLV for a year or two, then went to Virginia Tech. Yeah, don't know if he played a whole lot, but uh, got his college paid for. You know, but yeah, he came. He actually came mid season. And I didn't even know this until after the season. 
And Mike just said, no, it's too late. And didn't come with the greatest reputation for Christina Valley. The coaches more or less told us, don't waste our time. But uh, then, you know, he was there, spring football or uh, off-season lifting. He was there. Then we started throwing, and his arm was – he had a cannon. So, you know, and I really respect the guys at Christina Valley, and and they were just saying, man, he's just – yeah, he just doesn't have – you know, he doesn't have it, doesn't – would sit in the pocket, afraid. So, you know, we were going to go with Soren Halliday as our quarterback and athlete, but we got into spring and, you know, he picked up the offense all right. And, you know, his cannon for an arm would help out. You know, sometimes he'd throw to the wrong guy, but he'd get there so fast. And during spring, if I shouldn't say this in summer, but uh, he was kind of live out there. (laughs) I told the guys, hey, you get in there, defense, give him a little push, you know, just so, you know, and started the year and, I mean, he had a great, great season for us. Who was the toughest? Kyle Bowler. Not even close. I remember, yeah, I remember, um, I mean, I had a lot of tough guys too, but Kyle, I remember his freshman year. I think Kyle was like 5'6". He was 5'6", his freshman year. Um, I think he got to like 5'9", sophomore year. And then his junior year, he started the season at 5'11", and ended like at 6'2". Um but he, I remember watching him in a freshman game one time. He he drops back, stays in the pocket, throws it, gets absolutely annihilated. I go, oh, geez. Next play, drops back, hangs in there, zips the ball downfield for a completion, got ripped again. He didn't even blink. And I, I remember telling someone on the sideline, like, wow, that's impressive. Beside yeah. him, who had the strongest arm? Oh, yeah, the strongest arm. Yeah, not even close. Um, <laughs> he would uh, – yeah, he, you know, he did that messing around one time, and uh, the story got out. And then at his uh, his his uh, pro workout at Cal, I was there, and he was all done throwing. He threw great. A lot of the guys said it was, you know, just you know, it's like Peyton Manning's pro workout, pro day. And someone asked him if he could do it, and he goes, "I don't want to do it." So that all of the GMs and coaches that were there, so like, oh, "I want to see it." So he goes down, finds which way the wind's going. And a little bit of a breeze, not too big, but enough to make a difference. He gets down one knee and he looks. Well, only one in the Cal Stadium, only one of the go posts was in. So he had to turn around and throw it against the wind and just uncorked it and threw it through the through the uprights. And it was so that's it was like sixty three yards in the air to clear the uprights <laughs> on one on one knee. Yeah, and then he gets criticized for that, like you know, but whatever. Look, he, he's the one laughing right now. Yeah, yeah. He had three tough years at Cal, and Jeff Tedford came in there and got him going again. And, uh, you know, had some good games with Baltimore, but it's a business, and I have my own opinions about that. But, uh, yeah, you know, he uh, didn't have a whole lot of luck his second year there. You know, he started getting, he started getting better his rookie year, and then he severed the tendon that leads from his thigh to his knee. And talk about toughness, he played like two series with that with his tendon severed from his knee to his, well, his thigh. Um, and, you know, then missed the rest of the season, came back second year, you know, then they didn't want to get a veteran guy and played pretty well there the last couple of years when he got an opportunity. I mean, then, you know, went to the Rams and got beat up and then went to the Raiders. And But, hey, he played, I think, nine or ten years and won't have to work a day in his life the rest of the year, the rest of his life. What a great experience for him. And married Miss California, too. <laughs> yeah, living in San Diego, yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah that's that playing a lot of golf. Oh, that's right, yep. 
Your league situation, before the season starts, you guys are basically already in the playoffs. It's a two-team league. Do you like it? And I I know the answer to this question, how difficult is it to find to schedule, you know, after week five when everybody else is in league and you're not. But do you like that setup or would you rather have teams in your league? It's an absolute joke. And I could rant on for, for hours on this. It's an absolute joke. It's not fair to the players, not fair to the school. We don't, we should not be in that league. Um, I mean, I don't know where, where they could put us, but uh, to have to nine non-league games. And then, you know, usually if you have your non-league and, you know, after four or five games, it's time for league. It's like a different season. You know, it's, it's hard to keep those guys going for nine weeks. And to try and then try to schedule games, you know, try to schedule a week seven, a week eight, a week nine game, you know, me and Jimmy Bonds, we don't like to play each other because we're real good friends. Right. And, you know, we just talked last week that, you know, we might not find anybody. So we're not playing after this year. We're done. We're not going to, I don't care. We're not going to play anymore. But, um, you know, and that's why we've had to travel so much. You know, last year we went to Arizona and we went to Sacramento. This year we went to Sacramento and actually a little to Rockland, just a little farther than Sacramento. Went to Santa Maria. We'll go to, uh, Santa Barbara in a couple of weeks. We went to Redondo. Um, so yeah, we've had to travel quite a bit, but you know, to try to find games, it's it's hard. And then we were successful. It's a lot of the same size schools didn't want won't play us. You know, none of the schools out here in the Antelope Valley will play us. Um, so yeah, it's very frustrating. I mean, it's hard to you know to find teams. You know, obviously we we've got called from from Modern Day and St. John Bosco every year. Five hundred eighty kids at our school, and I got. Uh, I think 58 kids in the whole football program. So, yeah, it's uh, – and, and neither one of those schools has played any non-league games with a team in California either. <laughs> well, Servite gave them a game, Bosco a game. Uh, yeah, they're non-league games. I was I did a Bosco oh, yeah. game this year. Right, right, yeah. They played right, right. Maryland, Hawaii, New Jersey. Nobody wants to play them either. Yeah. So it's tough. I mean, yeah, we're automatically in the playoffs. But, I mean, it's still – it's just not fair to the players. It's uh, – it's a terrible, terrible situation. I don't see anything that's going to rectify it either. So, well, hopefully something does in the future. A hey, seven on seven. You know, I remember years ago. You know, you guys Hart had the the tournament at COC. Saugus had their big under the lights tournament. But now we we don't see that anymore. We see more of these travel teams where these kids are going off during the spring and the summer and and doing all this stuff. Are, are you in favor of that? It's the worst thing that's happened to high school football in the last 20 years. Not even close. Not a, it, you know, when the, the tournaments at the high schools and everything, yeah, you get your teams that would try to, you know, they're running two man every play. They're, um, you know, there's no linebackers in the box. But most of the times it was, you know, the high school coaches, you know, it was somewhat realistic to football. Those club things are an absolute joke. I mean, you get four seconds to throw the ball. There's empty formations. There's, and then, you know, talk about the sportsmanship and the way kids act in those things. And you see it on Twitter all the time. Right. right. I mean, it's just, it, it, it disgusts me. And, uh, you know, I, I had my Alamany team. We, we went to the, when I had Brevin White, sophomore year, we went to some of the main tournaments just to keep our guys together. And then um, I didn't do it. it at uh, Paraclete my first couple of years. And then when Brevin came, we did it again. But 
I mean, just to keep our guys together instead of going out and playing and seeing all these, you know, getting in bad habits. And, and there's some good coaches that do that, but you know, I've, I've seen some terrible things and just, just seeing the attitude of the players. And I, I wish I in the world, I, I wish at the great Higginses and the Huffman's and all those guys, I wish they'd boycott them because that's what would end it. Um, but you know, that's, he goes to see all the top players are able to, you know, interview them and, you know, and I like those guys, don't get me wrong. Greg's a great guy. And, you know, but it's, it's just, terrible for high school football what what it's what it's gotten to and just you know the way kids act in those things as, as a quarterback coach you know guys get into bad habits kids come to you with bad habits what's the biggest thing that you have to correct or that you see from these seven on seven generated quarterbacks that need they don't drop yeah they get the ball from those stupid little stool things they'll take a one-step drop half the time they throw the ball they're past the line of scrimmage you know <laughs> um you know the drops are sloppy the ball placement sloppy. Uh, yeah, it's. I think playing too much of those is a is detriment to the quarterbacks. Now, what we do in the summer now is do the controlled eleven on eleven stuff. That stuff's great. I've seen a lot more of that. Yeah, we do it with Hart. Uh, maybe we did it a couple of times maybe this summer. We do it with all, with Lincia every year. We used to do it with Jimmy at St. Francis until we start playing. I mean, those are. I know Hart does, and I think St. Francis does it against Christina Valley. We did it. We've done it with Canyon. Those are the best things ever. Best things ever. And you, and there's less injuries too than the seven on seven. Well, the seven on seven, you see these kids coming with those water polo helmet things on their head, which makes things more aggressive, and you'd probably see more confusion. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I. You know, it's optional for my guys if they want to wear them. I tell them, you know, I have them. If you want to wear them, that's great. But I don't make them wear them. Um, so I think it gives the kids a false sense of security of leading with their head. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, I've cut down a lot on our, our seven on seven the last few years. Um, it's just, you know, it's, and I, I, we laugh now that I used to get so uptight in those things, you know, winning, losing this and that, you know, in these tournaments. And then when it comes September, you'll think back like, really, yeah. <laughs> it's really, really nothing. When you look at last thing, before I let you go, do you guys are in division three. It, it's an extremely tough division. You've got teams like, you know, Grace Brethren is in there. Uh, Alamany's in there. Corona Del Mar is in there. Do you look at those other teams? Do you pay attention to them? And how do you think you guys stack up? Yeah, they're, I mean, like I've told someone, I think every first round game in the division is going to be a competitive game. Um, yeah, we're, there's a lot of good teams in there. It's just one of those things, just try to, that week, find a way to win the game and move on. I and mean, it's, uh, I worry about our depth. You know, we're, we're not real deep, obviously, because we're by far the smallest school in the division. Um, we probably don't belong in that division. Yeah, we could have com- competed there probably a couple of years ago. But last year's team, we were, we were, you know, obviously down a little bit. I don't know how you go five and seven and move up. Like, you know, Alamany was division two last year. One up Division Two playoff game. We were Division Three. Didn't play a very strong team first game. Got a good draw and won, and then lost the second round. And we moved ahead of Alameda. I don't understand that at all because the way they do that. You know, we're having to play a tough non-league schedule. And you know, Chaminade and Notre Dame last year destroyed us, but we get dinged for playing those teams. Even if you lose, you get dinged. 
in your in your, your little ranking or whatever. So I guess that's how we, we moved up there. But um, I, I think we, I think you know, with anybody uh, in our division, I mean, I mean, we're gonna have to play really well. You know, we played you know Notre Dame pretty tough, and they're you know they're always r- right there. I think they're Division Two last in the semis last last year. Yeah, they were. So we're gonna they have were. to stay healthy for sure. I mean, we're gonna have to stay healthy. But um, you know, like I said, get in the playoffs. You know, hopefully you win a, a coin flip here and there, get some home games, and you know, get some guys up here in the cold, <laughs> in the desert. But um, we got a lot of work to do before that, though. Thanks a lot, Dean. I appreciate you taking the time to join me here on Believe, and good luck as you guys march towards the Division Three playoffs. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show. We're available on all the directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. If you're interested in advertising, hit me up via Twitter, at Tony Moskal, or at my email, TonyMoskal at gmail.com. Thanks again for joining us here on Believe, and until next time, have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.